four university students from Idaho were brutally murdered on November 13th in the early morning hours. I've had so many requests to cover this case and also to dive into the timeline. So we're going to do that in this video. And we're going to also dive into some of the discrepancies that we've been seeing in the report. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. So now, let's get into it. The four students who were horrifically murdered were Ethan Chapin, 20 years old, Zana Kernodal, 20 years old, Maddie Mogan, 21 years old, and Kaylee Gonzalez, 21 years old. On Saturday, November 12, 2022, it started off like an ordinary day. At 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon, Kaylee calls her mom and she told her mom that she wanted to celebrate her birthday, which was earlier in the week. And she said to her mom, Mom, I'll be home on Tuesday, and I'm going to take you out to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it's all on me, all on me, and we'll celebrate your birthday. At 3 p.m., Kaylee's mom, Christy, receives pictures from Kaylee. In the evening, between 8 and 9 p.m., Zana and Ethan, who were a couple, were at the Sigma Chi party on campus of University of Idaho. Reports say earlier that he was also attending a sorority party of his sisters. I have not found the time as to when that was. Let me know below. At 8.57 p.m., Zana posts a picture onto Instagram with a group of her friends, which appeared to be taken on the porch or the deck of her house. She says, one lucky girl to be surrounded by these people every day. They live in the small town of Moscow, Idaho, just under 30,000 residents. Now at 10 p.m., Kaylee and Maddie, who grew up together and were very close friends, went to a downtown bar called The Corner Club. At midnight, Zana's dad reportedly spoke to Zana. Now at 1 a.m., two other roommates who lived with Zana, Kaylee, and Maddie were out in the Moscow community. They were separately out. But by 1 a.m., it's said that they returned home. At 1.30 a.m., Kaylee and Maddie leave Corner Club Bar and they head towards a food truck called the Grub Truck, which is only about a six-minute walk. At 1.41 a.m., Kaylee and Maddie are seen on camera ordering from this Grub Truck. You can see on camera that Kaylee and Madison were ordering food and they were waiting for it to be ready. Kaylee and Madison were also seen there with another person who was with them at the bar, but then they split ways. He was later ruled out as any potential suspect. Maddie and Kaylee waited about 10 minutes for their food. They arrived there at 1.41 approximately, and then they left at about 1.52. Now I did find a timestamp in the footage from Twitch, and it said 1.52 a.m. when we saw the girls leave. At 1.53, the girls did walk away in one direction, and you could see the man, the hoodie guy, as people called him, the hoodie food truck guy, he looked in a different direction and he was surprised that they walked off because somebody tapped him and he kind of went like one of these and the girls left and they went into a different direction. Now you could see uh, that the girls were a little tipsy 
in the video. Now it's reported that the girls left and then they took an Uber home. It's a six minute ride. Now here's where it's interesting because several times the officers who are doing the press releases or press conferences, they're saying that the girls got home at 1.45 and Zana and Ethan also got home at about 1.45 or they were all home at 1.45. But According to the cam, the timestamps, and Kaylee's sister, this is not true. I'm not sure why they haven't amended it or they just want to keep it grouped on there, but it's very weird to me that they wouldn't fix it. Maybe that's just the details in me. Let me know what you think below. But at 1.53 a.m., I saw this timestamp on Twitch. It says there, or 1.52, you could see them, and that's the moment that you can see the girls leaving. Now, it's typically a six-minute drive from where they were, to go and uh, to go home but it is late at night there might not be much traffic and maybe it's just a little faster so it said that they were home at about 1:56, leaving that four minutes to get home and according to Kaylee's sister she said between 1:56 a.m. and 1:59 a.m. that they got home she did confirm it with a, a neighbor video a ring cam but it may just be when she was interviewed that she couldn't remember whether it was 156 or 159. The Uber driver was also ruled out. Now, a half an hour later after they got home, it said that at 2.26 a.m., Kaylee starts to call Jack, and that's Kaylee's ex-boyfriend. Kaylee's sister says Kaylee calls Jack six times between 2.26 and 2.44 a.m. From 2.44 to 2.52, Maddie calls Jack three times. Then Kaylee makes a final call to him at 2.52 a.m. for a total of seven times from Kaylee and also three times from Maddie. Now you gotta wonder what this phone call was all about or was intended to be about because from reports is saying that it was unanswered. I don't know if they left a message or what happens. If you know extra information about that, let me know below. Perhaps we won't know that. And Kaylee's sister is very adamant that there's nothing suspicious about Jack. He is family and he's just as devastated as they are. Now between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., that's when police believe that these attacks happened. The cause and manner of death was homicide by stabbing. They had multiple stab wounds. It was said that the fatal wounds was to the chest or the upper body area. It was a fixed blade knife or Rambo style knife. Now there's no signs of any SA and it was said that likely all four of them were sleeping when the attacks took place. Now, however, it was also reported by Zana's dad that she had defensive wounds. And we did hear that at least one of them had the defensive wounds. The coroner said that there was a lot of blood on the wall and we saw pictures in the news that you could see it actually dripping outside the house. This knife was said to be a six inch Rambo style knife. And it was also said that there was a general manager of the Moscow building supply that they said that police had come to question him whether or not that they sold these Rambo style knives, but he didn't. Also, there's reports that they're probing into a link between the knife and the reserve officer training corps. It's also called ROTC and it is a program that's offered at the university and it actually says it prepares young adults to become officers in the US military. So that's very interesting. Now in my research, I also saw that there were earlier reports of a man making threats with a knife back in September. And the guy was said to be on a bike. Nobody ended up being hurt, but it was very interesting that there's somebody out there threatening with a knife. 
Now let's go back to the students. All four of them were stabbed, as we said, multiple times. And there was signs of no forced entry and a door was left open, it was reported, when the officers first arrived. Now it didn't say what door, but one of the students' fathers was uh, saying that he suspects that it was the sliding door that was left open. Two other people who were living in the home were found alive and unharmed. Now let's talk about the crime scene because it says the suspects couldn't have fled without blood. Forensics expert Joseph Scott Morgan, I love him, he explained how the investigators would be following the trail of blood throughout the residence and that it would get mixed up. He says, imagine if you will, as horrible as this is, every individual that was attacked subsequent to the first one, you'll have what referred to as commingling of blood transferring from person to person to person. It would be impossible for this in individual, the suspect, to have gotten out of there without a copious amount of blood on them. He says it would be leaving little bits and pieces and breadcrumbs throughout the house. And it was said that they were killed on the second floor and the third floor and reports said that Ethan and Zana were on the second floor and then the girls Maddie and Kaylee were on the third. Now if we fast forward time, so the murders happened between 3 and 4 a.m. and 11.58 a.m. that's when roommates, the two remaining roommates, summoned friends it said to the house because they believed one of the victims from the second floor, so that's either Zana or Ethan from our understanding, had passed out and wasn't waking up. Now, there's some confusion about this. I'm super confused too. Let me know what you think in the comments below because if there is so much blood everywhere and this is nine hours later, why would there be reports that someone passed out and wasn't waking up? I mean, maybe it could be shock, it could be shock, but it is a little bit odd because they're talking about um, someone being unconscious and whatnot. The 911 call was made and it was requested that they needed help for an unconscious person. But reports are saying that multiple people talked with a dispatcher before police arrived. And as I said, there was no sign of forced entry. There was talk that the front door did have a code lock on it. Now, I'm gonna play devil's advocate too because if people were drinking, you know, maybe they forgot to lock the door. There could be all kinds of, you know, issues with this. So let me know below your thoughts on this, but also if there's any extra information that you can, uh, that you have and can glean from this, because I'd love to know. <laughs> now about the killer, there was a guy who was interviewed. His name's Jim Clemente, and he is a retired FBI supervisory special agent and criminal behavior analysis expert. Who say that out loud? He said that he believes a suspect is likely a young man and who has not carried out such violent crimes before. So this is very fascinating to me. He said he's sloppy. This is probably more of a compulsive kind of person that would put him at a younger age and maybe in the age group or just above the victims. So they're creating this profile obviously about the suspect, but this is fascinating. He says, I don't think he's particularly sophisticated, criminally sophisticated or forensically sophisticated. And he also said that this killer's decision to do such a brazen type of crime he says was indicative of the relationship of one or more of the victims. So when he was asked if he had suspicion that the killer knew his victims, he had a very interesting answer. He said that because the suspect entered the home in the middle of the night, he said when anybody living there could have had a gun, multiple people could confront him and attack him when he got in, That what that's what makes him believe that he is known to the victims. He says, unless he knew them, unless he knew one or more of them, I think that reduces the risk if he did. 
or if he was stalking them and he knew that on the weekends they all got wasted and they went to bed early or they went to bed in the early morning and they didn't get up till late afternoon because they were all wasted. He says, so if he knew their routine and knew that they were all drunk, then it, that again reduces the risk to the offender. So making this a more plausible crime to commit. So just the fact that he got away with it in that time. Let's have a chit chat about that below because also it makes me think about, you know, the four that did get killed and the two that didn't. Did he not know those two? You know, there's there's so many questions around it. And when he was asked if he believed the suspect was a male, he said, you know, because of the defensive wounds and may have, he says, they fought back. This is somebody that was able to kill more people, including a male victim. He also talked about the weapon and he said that's more indicative of a male offender. And he says, because of the time of the attack during the late night, he says, early morning hours, shows that he has the freedom of movement during that time. So you get that recipe for disaster. You have the middle of the night, you have people wasted if he knew that, that they were drunk, and then you have a way in. And uh, you know, from one of the other reports, one of the other interviews, they were talking about because of the choice of weapon too, there's no sound and because of the type of weapon and the uh, wounds that it would be very quick and very well, quiet, so to speak. This Jim Clemente also said he's not in a relationship or a job that would keep him. He said it is important to say that the killer chose the knife. That was his choice of a weapon. He says, why did he choose a knife? It's quiet. It didn't wake up the rest of the residents in the house. It could be for that reason. So he also said that the fender would be known possibly to carry a knife and might even show it off to his friends. So, I mean, hopefully he did in that aspect because then he can get caught. People are so very afraid around there. I mean, who wouldn't be? He said the fact that he used a knife, it's graphic, but we call it, he doesn't mind wet work. He doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. He doesn't pale at the sign of blood. And imagine that you have four victims. He'd be doing that four times. And I mean, with that amount of blood, he had to have it all over him. He said because of this and he didn't mind the blood, it could mean that he was a hunter, a butcher, or he said anything else in that field of nature. He says he killed four different people this way. He didn't just sort of blanch and run after the first one. And Jim also said that the suspect would most likely have fled the area and wouldn't come back until everything calms down. But he says he may be local and he may not have shown up for work or was late afterwards. And he probably has a very significant interest in following the news of the crime. We know this uh, just in recent news in the Delphi case, how the murder was hiding in plain sight. And I'm sure this is the same uh, type of fear that people have that he's right in or she is in plain sight. According to a prosecutor, he said, that's my first thought on it. This offender did not just randomly choose this location, that he targeted one or more of the people in there. Now that could be because he has a relationship or past relationship with one or more of them, or it could be that he's been stalking one or more of them. And I also read in my research that it could have been pinpointed if one victim had more wounds or more extreme than the others, if that was the target. Now there was an expert speaking about these killings and he was talking, sometimes you need to go back 72 hours before in the timeline because it's important. He says, because sometimes these killers actually decide up to 72 hours before. And so that needs to be looked at. So the people that have been ruled out are the two surviving roommates, the guy in the grub truck surveillance video we know as Jack, also the Uber driver was also said to be eliminated. And of course, you may have heard that there was a bunch of 
stuff going around, but the cops said that the online reports of victims being tied and gagged was not accurate. Now sometime in that morning, Kaylee's mom calls Kaylee to see how her night went. She didn't get a response and at the time it was no big deal to her looking back. By 2 p.m. that afternoon, the university actually sent out a vandal alert notifying students of what happened and telling them to shelter in place. And then by 2.51, it was actually lifted. Several hours later, and please confirm below because, and with a link or the resource, because the coroner was said to arrive several hours after the police arrived. And sources say, some sources say it was between 5 and 5.30, but the coroner just said several hours later. Now, many people who have been part of the investigation said this is the worst they've ever seen. Now, one more thing that's been brought up, but the authorities are looking into it, is there's chitter chatter about a stalker that apparently Kaylee had mentioned that there was a stalker or some sort of report she'd been saying about a stalker. The Police captain said, we obtained information through some of our interviews that Kaylee had made some comments about a stalker, so that's where that came from. And to date, they have not uh, found anything from what they're saying yet, but they're looking into it. The FBI has set up a special page for digital information that you can upload. As of the time of this recording, it said there was 103 pieces of evidence collected. There were 4,000 photographs. There were multiple 3D scans of the residence and hundreds of hours by the forensic science technicians and investigators, 1,000 tips and 150 interviews. There's gonna be a candlelight vigil held on Wednesday, November 30th. That's gonna be live stream. I'll have that in the description box below. There'll be that. And there's also gonna be another vigil at 6 p.m. Um, Wednesday the 30th at the same time it'll be in sync and that has to do with University of Boise from the looks of it correct me if I'm wrong if you wish to support the families of Zana, Ethan, Madison and Kaylee there's GoFundMe pages I will have that in the description box below as well and the there's a memorial scholarship from the Sigma Chi Foundation they created it in Ethan Chapin's memory and I'll have that also in the description box below. The university is adding extra protective measures. They canceled classes last week. There's some learning options. The kids are on break right now. When they come back, there's online learning options as well. It says um, faculties have been asked to prepare in-person teaching and remote learning options so that each student can choose their method of engagement. Moving courses fully online is not preferred, but may be necessary in limited situations. There's also an increased number of state troopers. They'll be on campus for the foreseeable future, it says, and the size of the school security force has also been increased. The University of Idaho is offering resources for employees and students so that they can help them deal with this, and it says including drop-in counseling, therapy dog support, and additional security officers on campus to escort students off campus. This video is the first in my series. I will have the playlist right here, and as more videos are uploaded, they'll be right there. Check out my other videos as well by going into my playlists. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Please like and please share. I will be adding more and more videos to this case. Let me know what you wanna see. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you soon.